Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, there should be a Bible either in the chair next to you or in the seats in front of you. And I think it's page 809, 810, something like that in those Bibles. The last two weeks, we have looked at what is commonly known as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, these are blessings spoken from God to His saints as they reflect His character. He blesses us as we reflect His character. He is merciful. He is pure in heart. He is a peacemaker. He's persecuted, and, and He blesses us as we bear these same attributes. Well, this week now, going straight from there into verse 13, this week is really our impact on the world as Christians who live out those attributes. As we bear those attributes, this is what will follow. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13, and we're going to read through verse 16. This is what God's Word says. You are the light, or you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice Jesus' thought process from the start of the Sermon on the Mount to where we are now. Okay, He doesn't make a random left turn right after the Beatitudes. He doesn't start a new point. It's not a new chapter in the book. The present text that we just read and we're looking at today is the practical outworking of the Beatitudes in our lives, right? In our humility, in our firm stance on purity, in our joyfully embracing hardships for our faith, in all of these things, the world sees a glimpse of our God who is in heaven through our lives. Shining out his light. Right? This is the natural outworking from the Beatitudes. I'll never forget the, uh, uh, my, my friend Taylor, Sarah and I's friend Taylor, who uh, was living a life very far from God. And, um, and she came to faith through an interview at Starbucks to work for Starbucks. And I know, thinking Starbucks is just proudly known as a far-leaning left organization, and yet there was a man who still, to this day, is a general manager of a Starbucks who is a godly Christ follower who is in the world but not of it. He's Im- implanted himself in that world. Managing a Starbucks meets this young girl who is anything but a Christian, starts to interview her, and she says, this 
this guy. Never met somebody like him. She'd come to find out later he's a pastor. He'd start, she'd start going to his church. He hired her to work at Starbucks. He started discipling her. She became a Christian. Now she's married to uh, my childhood best friend, Jake. And they are people that are just so in love with Jesus. Luke was the manager of that Starbucks. And that's what we're talking about here. He bears the image of Christ, the attributes of Christ, and through that, people in even the darkest places in the world might see us in the darkness of the world, a light. This is what we're talking about. And so really, my main idea here is that we are, you and I, as Christ's followers, humble instruments for positivity in the world. That's what I'm trying to get at, this whole message. Cards on the table. We are humble instruments of positivity in the world. Humble instruments because we are not the answer to the world's problems. We have the answer to the world's problems. Humble instruments. Christ is the light. We are the bulbs for the light. He is the salt. We are the spreaders. Christ is the life that they need, and we are the defibrillator paddles. We are humble instruments. We're vessels for the message that they need to hear. Positivity in the world, because you're introducing them to the greatest good, far better, far greater than what they're already living for. And by positivity, I don't mean like good vibes, right? Happy thoughts. Because though so many would think that that would be enough, good vibes and happy thoughts will indeed not carry somebody through tragedy when it strikes. Good vibes will not endure you through the darkness of this world. What I mean by positivity is that through your life, people will see a hope-filled, life-giving, promise-keeping, loving, reliable God that will carry somebody through any tragedy. We are humble instruments for positivity, real positivity, true, lasting positivity in the world. So let that just be an encouragement to you. Okay, before we dig into the text and look at the words that are used, let that be an encouragement to press on and fight the good fight. Christian, you're a humble instrument for positivity in somebody's life around you. Sometimes it may seem like our good deeds just ruffle feathers and cause more problems and more strife in the family and more uncomfortable situations at work. Sometimes all we see from our hardships is the, or from our, our, our holiness or our trying to live for Jesus is just more problems. All we see is the last beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Maybe that's all we can see is just the persecution that comes from our righteousness, and that's we can't see beyond that. But the reality is, even if you face resistance because you're witness, hear me, your faithfulness 
it does bring glory to God. And it does bring real positivity into the world, even if all you see is the hardships that you face. Be encouraged. You are light. You are salt to the world, no matter what you face. So how are you and I salt and light for the world? How? What does that even mean? Why did he pick salt? Why did he pick light? What is he trying to say here? What does this mean? I've got two points here. The first one is that goodness is preserved in the world through Christians. The second one is goodness is publicized in the world by Christians. Goodness is both preserved and publicized by Christians in the world. Let's consider the first one. Goodness is preserved in the world by God's people. You get that from verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt. Salt has a lot of functions, right? Adds taste and flavor to what you're eating. And of course, we could run down that route. And that's true that Christ, faith, makes life so much better. But also, salt is a preservative. Do you know this? Salt is a preservative. It's applied to wounds to prevent bacterial infection. It preserves health. So next time you get a cut, try it. Pour salt (laughs) in it. (laughs) But it does preserve health. It keeps the bacteria out. Apply it to meat. And the moisture is dissolved and that prevents decay. we're, We're like in science class right now, guys. It preserves food. Salt is a preservative. And this is the function of the church in a sin-infected, decaying, and rotting world. We push back societal decay and rot. Goodness is preserved in the world by God's people. So the church, capital C, as a whole, should work to preserve societal good. Right? And there have been great failures at this by the hand of the church and great tragedies by the hand of the church in this effort. Right? Anyone ever have to read the Scarlet Letter? Salem Witch Trials? Big failure at trying to preserve societal good. Right? The Crusades? A big failure at trying to preserve good. There were plenty of Christians in on the slave trade. Again, failure. So I'm not trying to say here that the church is not stained with mistakes from the past. What I'm saying, though, is there are a lot of times where the church has done really well to preserve good in society. The church has, in any decade that you might go back to, in any century you might go back to, you will see the church on the front lines of pushing back societal rot and decay. The church has been known to found schools, to build hospitals. Do you ever wonder why so many of them start with saint? They build orphanages. They pushed for prison reform. 
And they've pushed to end the African-American slave trade in the United States. They've established charities and food pantries, homeless shelters, pregnancy care centers, while pushing against those that would perform abortions. Before the government was really the primary distributor of schooling and education, it was the church that did Sunday school. Where do you get that name? But that, it was the church that provided education in the United States. Pushing back societal rot. And so our church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, has done, I think, really well to be a blessing in our community in a lot of ways. Right? Supplying the food pantry, housing the homeless. And some of these things you might not even know we do these in the background throughout the week. Housing the homeless. We do Serve Bethany Days, Disaster Relief. What is it? Next week, I think. We're going to do a bottle drive for the, for the uh, pregnancy center in Trenton. So these are all really good things that I think we should do. But hear me, while all that is right and good, they are, all of that is right and good, we must not lose sight of our chief calling to the gospel. Your chief calling is not the food pantry. Your chief calling is not disaster relief. Your chief calling is not any of those other organizations that I've mentioned that we support. They are all right and good, but we must not forget our chief calling to the gospel. Meeting tangible needs are good. Our Lord and Savior Himself fed the hungry, healed the sick, and fed the na- uh, clothed the naked, healed the sick, and fed the hungry. And even says that these are indicators that we are His followers. What you do for the least of these, right? You've done unto me. So we should do them. But hear me, meeting tangible needs is not the church's primary calling. It is not the salt that we spread. It is not the light that we shine. I'll go even further and say that if the church feeds and clothes and gets someone on their feet, but gives no mention of their greatest need, The church has greatly failed that person, and that person is greatly to be pitied, as comfortable as they now are. Societal justice and working towards societal justice without the end goal of them loving Jesus is really just making them comfortable on the same path they were going to hell. This is not loving. We should be light and salt to the world. Doing all of these things with the end goal of them seeing us and meeting Jesus. We each individually also, so we've looked at it kind of a big picture as the church at first, but you individually as well should work to preserve societal goodness by pointing people to Jesus. You are individually to be salt, preserving societal good. 
by pointing people to Jesus. So, please hear this. Something for you to consider and think about as you think about that. If your sphere of influence would be spiritually neutral with your absence, you may have a defective faith. Okay, can you just hear that? Meditate on that. If your sphere of influence would be spiritually neutral with your absence, you likely have a defective faith. And I think a lot of quote-unquote Christians in America today, what I would call nominal Christians, need to hear that. And it's not just Isaac's words. We're pulling that from Scripture. Jesus says it just as boldly, if not more boldly. And the rest of verse 13, right? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. A piano that's never tuned right, a car that doesn't drive, a fan that doesn't spin is a Christian who doesn't work for the cause of Christ. He isn't serving the single purpose he was created for. And we all need to stop and think, is that me? Am I the fan that doesn't spin? Am I the car that doesn't run? Am I the piano that's never tuned so can never be played? He created you for one purpose. And if we're not working for that cause, hear Jesus' words saying, your faith is good for nothing and ought to be thrown out. So, how are you and I salt? Well, goodness is preserved in the world by God's people. We preserve goodness. We are salt. We point people to Jesus. But goodness is not just preserved, but goodness is publicized in the world by God's people. That is to say, we put His goodness in the limelight and on full display. What does verse 14 say? You are the light of the world. What does light do? It illuminates. It allows you to see further. Continue walking on your path. And so notice here that salt and light complement each other. I don't think that's easy to to see right at first as you're just reading it, but I think they complement each other. Salt works against deterioration. Light works towards new illumination. Salt keeps the world from going backwards. Light pushes the world forward. Salt is a preventative of decay. Light is proactive for good. If salt were the defense, light is the offense. And we are to be both. Do you see this? The lesson is that we're not just called to withstand blows from the enemy. We are called to push forward and push against the darkness. To not just refuse retreat, but to advance forward. This is the call of the Christian. 
This is the call of the church. So how do we handle the light that we have? This is the rest of verses 14 through the first part of 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Okay, so what are we called to do with this light that we have? Well, we're not called to hide it. We're not called to hide the light of Christ. And he uses this example there in verse 15. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket. I think he's made his point pretty clear. Just imagine this picture. You come over to some friend's house. You walk in. And it's like, oh, take a seat. Take a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Can I, can I get you a drink? You're like, no, I'm good. Thank you. You sit down. And like, let's get some light on. They turn on the lamp. They lay it down on the floor. And they're like, where's that basket at? And they just put the basket on. And, and then they recline. And they're like, so how are you? Can you just imagine this picture? I'd be like, kids, come on. We're leaving. Like, crazy. Like, Right? And this is the image that Jesus is describing. It would be strange to do that. Even more strange than taking a lamp, laying it down, putting a basket over it so you can talk with company. Even more strange would be to have a God who measures the galaxies with his hand. And yet, who loves us so much that he willfully took on flesh, became a baby, endured a life of suffering, only to be persecuted and tortured to the point of death for your salvation. To have such a God and then be too embarrassed to introduce him to friends and family. How strange. To say, Jesus, can you just get in the closet. My friends are coming over. It'll just be three hours. Just crawl under that basket. You think it's strange to put a light under a basket? How strange is it to have such an awesome God and be embarrassed of Him? I think he makes his point. That would be very strange. And yet, we do it every Thanksgiving. Every day at school. Every day at work. Christians do this all the time. And then 10 years after working with said Christian, somebody might say, they're a Christian? I had no idea. What a tragedy. How strange. It'd be like lighting a lamp and laying it down to put a basket over it. They have such a treasure to hide it. He says, no, we shouldn't hide the light of Christ. We're called to elevate the light of Christ so that everyone is exposed to him and everyone sees him. Right? What is the imagery? You you take the, the, the city that you see on a hilltop, not in the valley, on a hilltop. You've probably had this experience where you're, you're driving up to a city and you're on country roads and you've got kids screaming in the back and you're saying, just two more minutes, we'll be there. Maybe that's just us, but you're driving and you see, you see the skylight in the distance, right? 
It's dark, but you can see the light ahead. You know where you're going. This is the Christian in a dark world. A city on a hilltop to be seen from a far way off. It's the lamp that's not put under a basket, but it's the lamp proudly put on a stand that everyone in the house would see it. We should not hide the light of Christ. We should display, publicize the light of Christ. Now, there's a balance we have to keep in shining our light, isn't there? It's true that we should not be bashful or ashamed about God's work in our lives, right? That's Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God, right? So we should not be bashful. We should not be ashamed. But at the same time, here's the balance part, we should never parade or flaunt the work of God in our lives. What does he say just a little bit later in the sermon, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5? When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. So there's a balance here. Your light is to be seen by the world, and yet we should not parade and flaunt what God has done in our lives. It's a balance that we should walk carefully. I, I dug this up last night when Sarah was, and the boys were already sleeping, and I thought about this laying in bed. I crawled underneath our bed, pulled out my, our, we have like memory boxes of things, and I thought this was in there. My first license plate. Matt 516, let your light shine before men. And I drove around with this with my, I think it's supposed to be like mock um, dog tags, but it says Jesus saves. And uh, probably my proudest memorabilia of my high school days, the ones that Sarah hates probably the most, was my t-shirt. I like girls that love Jesus. And um, I wore it. Yeah, I wore it. So where was I on that balance of not being ashamed but also not parading? I was probably on the wrong side a little bit too much and um, parading my faith and uh, look at me. I admit that. But I wonder if that's not true also for the person that happily gives to a GoFundMe and doesn't click anonymous but chooses to put their name on it so everyone else can see how much you gave. Have you done that? We have to check our heart on these things, don't we? Are we letting our light shine so they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven? Or are we doing it, parading it around like the Pharisees and Jesus says they've gotten their reward? Pay close attention to what Jesus' words here are in verse 16. Let your light shine before others. It doesn't say, pull out your phone and record your light shining and then post it on social media for all to see. It doesn't say, wait to shine your life until you have an audience. It says, let your light shine. As if, if they happen to see it, well, praise God. 
but that's not my motive. It really is a question of motive. Is your goal in whatever deed you're doing your own recognition or is it just their blessing and God's glory? You must check your own heart because there's a big difference in what you receive then from God. Do you receive the blessing of Matthew 5 or the judgment of Matthew 6? But we know we are not to hide the light of Christ. We are to let the light of Christ shine through us. It has a lot to do with motive if you're doing that for self-gain or for the glory of God, which really leads us to the last part of verse 16. Why are we shining the gospel light out for others to see? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, our life's goal is not recognition, is not an applause, it's not a platform, it's not a pat on the back. Your life's goal ought to be to magnify God in all of His greatness before all of His creation. To make much of God. To be like John and say, I must decrease that he might increase. This is to be our goal. is to be a magnifying glass for him. You know, many people think that we're just expected to believe that he exists. I think there's a lot of quote-unquote Christians understanding of what he would call us to do. Many, many would say, well, he just expects me to believe that he exists and then give thought to him now and then. I know that's true because you can go up to any one of these individuals that claims to be Christians and you say, when was the last time you, you talked to God? Well, you know, I do here and then. When was the last time you dug into his word? Well, you know, I, I do here and then. Are you a Christian? Absolutely. I know he exists. Do you know who I'm talking about? It might be you. But imagine how offensive this is. Imagine how offensive this is to God. He's the ruler of the cosmos who deserves all of our affections, all of our praise. So many people say, meh, meh. The ruler of the cosmos would knock on the door and say, yeah, one minute. And claim to be a Christian. Nothing in your life matters compared to him getting the attention he deserves from you and from other people. Nothing matters more in your life. Hear that. Nothing matters more in your life. Not your job, not your children, not your spouse, not your happiness. It's His glory and His recognition. You can run a company. You can make a fortune. You can have a big family that loves you so much. And hear me. Waste your life. Waste it. And yet, you can have no fame, no fortune, a whole lot of suffering. But if you make much of him for others to see, you have 
a rich life and a, a life worth living. Your purpose is to glorify God so that they may see your good deeds and that's your purpose. Glorify our Father who's in heaven. So if you're not walking with Jesus today, this is still your calling. This is still your calling. And the most God-glorifying thing that you can do in this moment is to lay down your pride, lay down your self-reliance, lay down your idolatry of self, your centering your life on you. Lay all that down and acknowledge him as Lord. That is the most God-glorifying thing you could ever do. And if that's something that you feel drawn to do, that God would be working in you right now, that you might do that today before you leave, I would love to talk to you. Stick around. I'm always the last one to leave, and I would love to shake your hand and talk to you about that. I know Pastor Trent would as well. Christian, this is also your calling. It's a big calling, right? That we are to strive to make every moment count for the glory of God. There's no timeouts. There's no sub-ins. You're in the game for the glory of God. Every second of your life count. That's why Paul says, whether you eat or drink, it doesn't matter if you're sleeping, you're driving, you're having a conversation, let it be to the glory of God. He's not asking for an hour of your day. He's asking for all 24 of them. May he impact your every thought, your every action, your every word, every interaction with other people. May they all see any moment in your life, and we all fall short at this, right? But may people see our life and give glory to God for what they see. May our life be one big thank you to him for getting up on that old rugged cross for my sins. I love this old Puritan prayer. This will be close here. It's from the Valley of Vision. This is what it says. This is a prayer that you and I could pray. Without your light within me, no outward light can profit anyone. May my words and works introduce others to the highest walks of faith and love. Cause me to be a mirror of your grace, to show others the joy of your service, and teach me the happy art of tending to temporal things with a mind intent on eternal things. As the world sees your life, my life, may what they see bring glory to God. This is our life's purpose. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.